The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for March 19th, 2021. Jerome Justin Robert Young. Uh, I don't know if, 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 if this got lost in the update, but uh, everything is signed, sealed, delivered on the house. Thank you to everybody who wished me well, uh, my wife well. We, we are both homeowners. We both got uh, vaccine shots. So things are looking up. 2021, uh, rocking and rolling. And this episode is going to be a part of it. We roll on with our greatest constitutional amendment bracket. Very, very excited to welcome Brian Brushwood back as now we enter into our elite. Legally required pause. Eight amendments. Some real upsets in that second round. Real upsets. We reveal those final eight amendments in a few minutes. We got a mailbag, including questions about whether or not I should run for public office. I'm always saying that celebrities, you know, their skill sets here that are being undervalued. Am I undervaluing myself, my own ability to get elected? I talk so much about how I've got this keen political sense. What do you say I shut my trap and actually put my money where my mouth is. Just kidding, I'd be a politician. I'd put your money where my mouth is. Hmm. We discussed the simplicity of New Zealand taxes and if I should license COVID shots equal body shots to the CDC as their official slogan for vaccination. And finally, we have an interview with Emily Eakins, the director of polling for the Cato Institute, all about 2020's failure to actually accurately capture the GOP vote and much more. This is this is a great conversation. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm super thrilled that Emily was able to carve out time to, uh, uh, to, to, to have it with me. But there's some real interesting stuff here. Polls were off in 2016. They were not off in 2018. They were off in 2020, specifically when it came to certain GOP demographics. Huh. We find out all the secrets there and much more. Burn! 
It's Friday. It's March. And that means it is time to once again update our greatest constitutional amendment bracket. Joining me, as always, is the co-creator and inspiration of the greatest constitutional amendment bracket, Brian Brushwood. Welcome, sir. Dude, I'm so glad that so many sentences has happened since you've mentioned what month it is so I can explain the madness I'm (laughs) feeling for this event. And this is uh, the elite legally expected pause eight round of our uh, competition. All of our amendments are in now. Although, Brian, we did have... Uh, 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 we, we, we got some flack. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's very difficult for me to believe that there would be any debate about, you know, pitting amendments against each other and having two people, neither of whom are constitutional uh, have scholars degrees yeah. that, that, that qualify them to talk about them. <laughs> Who me. would have thought? John from South Carolina writes, as a military, uh, just the Third Amendment, though, is what he writes. As a military veteran who lived in the barracks with these a-holes for half a decade, I think y'all underestimate how awful it can be. So I guess he was saying that the quartering of soldiers is something that uh, <laughs> is something that we should take far more seriously than we did in our in our conversation about it. Well, and 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 uh, I saw a couple of tweets that indicated like, uh, yeah, you're making the quartering of soldiers more of an eminent domain. And somebody mentioned the 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 better analogy, which is a different amendment. But but I love the idea that it's like, no 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 no, you don't understand. What a golden age you live in where not one stinky body is buried is in your room. Uh, we also got a pitch for our our next bracket. People are already thinking about next March. Uh, this one came in from Joe. Joe writes, I, uh, a bracket V2 challenge. Come up with 26 new amendments and battled to see which amendment that... Andrew Heaton runs for office on. That's really good. Uh, And then there was one that was actually, I think it came in on Twitter, but, but, but uh, people who are actually particularly annoyed uh, uh, with us. uh, And that is uh, a Sebeckis on Twitter. It looks like eminent domain is far more involved with the fifth amendment than the third and uh, 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 then they they also went on to comment about your eminent domain issue that uh, the state of Texas should be better be offering you just compensation for widening their road into your property. They, uh, I, I hope I'm not uh, ruining anything by saying this, but uh, but but yeah, man, they 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 actually have contracted third parties to come out and just sort of look around. And they they do stuff like the like okay what are we ruining we're definitely ruining this established structure where um, uh, these are uh, one two three four five heritage oaks and whatever their math is uh, but but it, it, it it's so it's it's a weird thing I actually called those third those uh, third party evaluators and they were like yeah don't call us because. We we just did this gig for the county. They'll call you. And I'm like, all right. 
Uh, and then we got this one from Leon on Twitter. Amendments two, four, or one, two, four, and eight mean next to Jack S without the 14th, the incorporation doctrine. Moreover, if you need any idea on how impactful the 14th Amendment is, just know that it's the most cited amendment in the Supreme Court. And the 14th is which one again? Uh, the 14th Amendment is he said searching oh the one the one that 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 defines citizenship post civil war so people people that is something that we got that 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 uh, uh this was far more than just the like uh, reunification package after the civil war happened huh uh, but that, that apparently it's got, it's got some fans, it's got some low key fans. So I wanted to get some of that out there because I know that we were not, <laughs> that we were not perfect on this, but it is now time to reveal our elite eight. This was from our round two, uh, uh, number nine, the rights not in the, in the constitution revert to the people versus number eight, no cruel and unusual punishment. It looks like the people's rights advance. 56 to 44 percent. So so in other words, our audience appears to not mind the idea of getting freaky, but but give give me my rights, my rights. Uh, Number four, no unreasonable search and seizure versus number three, a ban on slavery unless arrested. And this is a big upset. The Fourth Amendment advances no unreasonable search and seizure over the ban on slavery. The 13th Amendment goes down. Keep in mind, Thirteenth Amendment uh, does does have its flaws. We I, I, I keep we, we, we talked about the, it. Unless the, the unless, yeah, 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 yeah. So wow, wow, I'm very surprised by that. Sixty forty split. Uh, First Amendment versus the Seventeenth Amendment: the freedom of expression, petition, religious uh, religion, and assembly versus the ability to directly elect senators. A route ninety seven. Percent for the First Amendment. Ninety-seven <laughs> percent. It's going to be hard to beat. Twenty-second uh, Amendment: presidential term limits versus number five. No double jeopardy. Big win for Ashley Judd. It is seventy-five percent for the no double jeopardy Fifth Amendment. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think that brings us back to um, uh, there's, there's, you know ideas and then there's me and and i think that that double jeopardy is something that applies to me uh i, do, I don't expect to have the problem of how many terms as president i'll have all right this was the biggest fight of round two. Second amendment Ooh. right to bear arms versus the 15th amendment the right to vote regardless of skin color oh gotta say this was one that I was expecting to be close, and it wasn't, Brian. I, okay. 71, 71% advanced the Second Amendment to the round of eight. Wow. So, turns out people are passionate about the Second Amendment. You ever heard of this? People, people well, love it. It's you could make a case that the Second Amendment is what 
is basically the bodyguard for all of the other amendments. That right? in 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 our in 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 the 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 chatter to that specific tweet, that was some of the rising sentiment. Although I will say that this one got roughly double the votes of every other <laughs> of, of every other one. And look, here's the reality of any internet poll. You are one link to a forum that is very fired up about this one thing away from all of these going awry. If you are upset about anything that happens, find the forum for which can benefit you and make sure that that link shows up there. Right. Our next one, the 10th Amendment, the rights of states are only those, the rights of the state, rather, are only those listed in the Constitution versus, number seven, the right to a civil jury trial. This was the closest. 51% advanced the right to a civil jury trial. What? Over states' rights? No, no, no. The, this, is the, this is the opposite of the, the rights in the Constitution that aren't in the Constitution revert. It's like the, the, the double underline on that idea that the only rights of the state reside in the Constitution. Oh, oh okay. No, I'm on board. All right. Number, uh, the, the number of the 14th amendment defining citizenship post-civil war. And, and we knew we had some super fans that wrote in versus no quartering of soldiers. The third amendment, 54% of respondents advance, no quartering of soldiers. The fab war advance in, in unison over the most cited Precedent. They, 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 oh, my God. Although people do think that we job them out. They think that we job them out by just calling it. Ah, it's like the Civil War Amendment. So, again, we're not constitutional scholars. I'm literally just reading stuff off Wikipedia. Apologies to, to 14th Amendment stands, but the but no quartering of soldiers does advance. Uh, the and our, our final battle, the 11th Amendment, sovereign immunity for states within the nation versus the right to a speedy jury trial, 66% advance the speedy jury trial. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, theoretically, I, I guess at this point, I should stop having any dogs in any fight, but all things being equal, me personally, I like the idea that in the Constitution, it guarantees, guarantees me the right to a speedy jury trial. All right. And so we begin with the elite or sorry, the, the eight, the eight that may or may not be elite. We don't know. We don't know. We, 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 we legally, we legally can't know whether or not. The amendment eight. Yes. All right. And that will be, we're going to start at the top of the bracket here. The first amendment, free expression, petition, religion, assembly versus the uh, any rights not in the Constitution revert to the people. Okay. This is a pretty good way to take out what might be one of the most powerful amendments. I mean, I mean, going up against Amendment 1, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Amendment whatever it was. Uh, I'm not seeing you win. Yeah. Ninth Amendment. I mean, it, it, it's a big amendment. It, it's a pretty foundational amendment. 
Super big, super big. If there's only one thing to destroy it, it's Voltron and King Kong and Godzilla combined, a.k.a. the First Amendment. All right. Uh, the Fourth Amendment begins our next battle. The uh, right to no unreasonable search and seizure versus the Fifth Amendment. Double jeopardy. Can't be tried Twice. Both of these are the man can't hassle you, right? These are these are both kind of getting to to the same idea here. This is not me picking a side, but if I was to make a prediction, I would say that Amendment Four is pretty concrete. I I, I could picture going through the TSA line every single time I got on a stupid plane and thinking about how unconstitutional it is. Uh, double jeopardy. Uh, I, I mean, I ain't, I ain't never been accused of a crime, tried and then tried again of that that crime. I, I, I think that Amendment Five goes down. Yeah. All right. This is a big one. Second Amendment, right to bear arms. Now the prohibitive favorite, it, because it, that was that was a tough matchup. The vote, regardless of skin color, in the second round. Now right. it's hard to see something else that's going to have that kind of emotional weight to keep it out of the finals in, in, in what would be now, now all the odds makers are recalibrating their odds. It looks like a one, two final, unless there's a major upset that happens, but you still got to do the work right to bear arms versus the right to, oh wait, hold on. Let me, let me double check that. I don't get this wrong. Mark. Uh, oh, yeah, this was the Seventh Amendment. The right to a civil jury trial. Oh, right to bear yeah. arms versus the right to a civil <laughs> jury no trial. Going down. Be, be, because, because if, if all right, first of all, the momentum we saw on bearing arms is is huge. Uh, but second of all, like civil trial. It's like a, a, the idea that it's in the Constitution that you can book a party of 12 people who will listen to your argument over whether or not you deserve more royalties on your movie appearance. Like, uh, I, 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 I just can't see anything other than amendment to crushing. All right. And our final matchup for round three, the round of eight, the quartering of soldiers. The now that the, the scrappy upstart, I feel like people are going to be piling in behind quartering of soldiers. The, you know, what, what a, what a great Cinderella story versus the right to a speedy criminal trial. And oh, uh, this was this, also, this was this, also this pointed out where they go down. Right. I, I mean, it's like, it's cute. We're all, we're all thankful that nobody's wearing their red coats around the house or whatever, but it's like, ultimately Again, it comes down to an abstract ideal that we don't have to fear. And then, uh, no, 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 no. But me personally, if I get uh, accused of something, I, I, I would very much like a speedy trial. This was also pointed out by, by a listener on Twitter that the Sixth Amendment is also bigger than just a speedy trial. It also provides the right to counsel. So, so you, you, you no matter what, also have the right to have a, a legal representative. Shoot. That's, that's huge. Yeah. 
Uh, so there we go. Those are your matchups at PX3 Tweets is is uh, where you're going to go. Uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, they'll already be up and uh, we're going to vote through the weekend. And at that point, we come down to the the final legally distinct pause for because uh, uh, we are we're, we're we're into the nitty gritty. I feel like this is this is uh, this is already ending too soon for me, Brian. It feels like we just started this. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, and and to be honest, I've I've been impressed and surprised. Um, and in general, um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to give any kind of like blessing one way or the other because it sounds like I, I have a dog in the fight. But in general, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of glad that these are the face offs we're seeing. Do you think that there is anything that can stop one versus two? Free expression, petition, religion, gathering versus put, the right to bear arms. If anything is going to jump in. It's going to be Amendment 4. Uh, or, it's going to be search and seizure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what what else would there be? Well, everything we just mentioned. Well, well maybe uh, 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 has rights of the people already been eliminated? No. No. That one's got a chance. That one's got a chance. That is, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> rights the rights of the people are are... Anything that's not in the Constitution, that is that is what's still in. Yeah, that's got a chance. All right, guys, go there and vote. Brian at Schwood on on Twitter. Uh, we of course are are always open. Tag us when you are having conversations in uh, 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 this, or you're forwarding it on to other people. Always let us know. We we want to see uh, this finish in a big flourish. Very very excited. We'll see you next week, Brian. Dude, can't wait. They ask me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I sure did. You can always email us, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. We begin with Jason. Why is there no movement to recall Andrew Cuomo? I would think since California is already reminding people that's a thing, shouldn't New York be doing the same thing? Uh, not so fast, my fine feathered friend. New York does not have a recall provision. You can impeach, but there is no citizen's mechanism to remove a governor. You know, a lot of people have said like, you know, when I, when I say that Cuomo is protected by old magic, old magic, it's the kind of stuff I mean. New York has been protecting power for a long time. The Cuomo family was powerful enough to elect father and son. What do you think that says about their knowledge and entrenchment into that system? And by the way, the New York State... Uh, 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 Democrats, the ones that are working in the actual state house or the state assembly, the ones that called for him to resign, they've already come out and said, look, we made our opinion known. Moving on. Don't look now, but I think the fever is breaking on Andy. 
Adam writes, COVID shots equal body shots should be on billboards throughout the country. Uh, consider this an open invitation for the CDC, the FDA, the National Institute of Health, whoever. Uh, you, uh, I, am, I am officially releasing that into the world. COVID shots equal body shots. That's that's what I believe. I believe the messaging that we should have. In fact, I would dare, I dare Dr. Fauci to look down the barrel of one of them cameras that they got in front of his face and to tell America the truth. The sooner you get vaxxed, the sooner you can get waxed. That's what I'm talking about. The summer is here two weeks after you get your shot. I mean, why Why shouldn't we? Look, you can always, there's always going to be uh, fine print, right? There's always going to be fine print. It's always going to be, also, you should stay six, six feet away. And, 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 and please, have a mask. And, and also, it's, it's better not to do it in, in, in an immunocompromised. Let that be the headline. COVID shots equal body shots. Fine print. Please also be responsible and remember. Why are we putting the fine print ahead of COVID shots equal body shots? Adam, I'm with you. Charlie from Canada writes, I wanted to write back my thoughts on the issue of human trafficking. In response to the recent interview and the letter you received in the mailbag, I was employed as a senior manager in an international anti-trafficking organization based out of Southeast Asia for eight of the, out of the last 10 years. I found myself nodding along with your guest talking about Q and how it's affected conversations about human trafficking. I noticed the links between Trump and trafficking over the last four years. I wasn't surprised to hear that somebody in your mailbag disagreed. I think if you were finding out about human trafficking over the last six years, you wouldn't notice the shift in tone. And probably it's different inside the U.S. For me, I've seen a noticeable increase in conversations about human trafficking in the last four years, not in terms of best practices. Not in terms of freedom of movement of labor. Not in terms of broadening the understanding of harms and exploitation. No, it usually comes from claims like Trump is the most pro-peace president we've had in years. Look at his anti-trafficking record. And then no information about the record itself. Well, I'm not here to uh, uh, offer Charlie from Canada or anybody else any kind of illumination on Trump's human trafficking record. Uh, my, my, my only point was just to say that uh, I I remember human trafficking as an issue before the Q folks brought it up. I think that's really the only thing I want to draw a circle around. But thank you for writing in, Charlie. I, I would not be surprised that somebody who is actually living in this space probably uh, has, has heard a lot more about human trafficking uh, outside this and, and is, is is probably a little annoyed by some of the tourists there. V-Guard, one of our favorites. We always read an email from students. If you are a student, you're listening to this, a high school student, a college student, go ahead and write in. V-Guard gets the double, uh, 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 the, 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 the double plus sticker of also being from Norway. And so he is going to be our foreign correspondent embedded into this mailbag uh, segment. V-Guard writes, I wanted to add a little bit of international politics, if you'll have it. So, on Wednesday the 17th, the Netherlands are going to the polls. 
They have perhaps the most interesting electoral system in Europe besides Ireland. And as the entire geographically tiny country of 17 million serves as one dis district for their House of Representatives. All 150 members are elected without any local anchor, based on proportional electoral system, and with no artificial thresholds to get in. This means that the country tends to get upwards of 15 parties in their lower chamber, given that they are also a parliamentary democracy, like most of Western and Northern Europe. This also means that a coalition needs to be formed. The current four-party coalition is looking like it'll get re-elected, mainly because the Prime Minister's right-wing liberal party, the VVD, is set to grow their support. Still, forming a new government may take months, like it did after 2017. V-Guard, a doff of the cap to you, good sir, across the Atlantic Ocean. Thank you for, for giving us our update on the politics of the Netherlands. And I hope you guys reaccess the AstraZeneca vaccine. Matt writes, listening to the mailbag portion of the March 12th episode, I stood in awe in the dealership shop that I work at while you gave your fan fiction Logan Paul reasoning for him running. I couldn't help but think how good of a speech you could give if you were actually running for public office. Matt, thank you for bringing up my Logan Paul take because that was liked on Twitter. That episode was liked on Twitter by Logan Paul himself. Just so you know, I'm not just blowing hot air. These ideas are getting out there. Would I do well running for office? Um, I think I could give a good speech. I think I've always been a good rally up the team guy. I think that when people look into my eyes, they tend to believe that what I am saying is what I believe. Those are those are crucial elements to being a politician. I, I I ultimately think that I'm I'm not willing to sell my soul though. <laughs> I mean, and, and and I don't mean that in in a negative way per se. I mean that to be a politician, you have to be everything to everyone. When you sell your soul, it's not because you are selling it to the highest bidder. Even if you are as honest as you possibly can be, you're selling your soul to your supporters. You you have to go in places that you might not have otherwise gone to, to, to keep them happy. You are on some level a puppet for their fears and hopes and desires. Whether or not you believe wholeheartedly in, in everything that, that you are going to push for. You have to understand that these coalitions exist and, and they have to be fed. And also, it's a lot easier to make money just talking about politics. Oh, my God. So much easier. And finally, Nick writes, I enjoyed the discussion that you had on taxes. You asked if any country did it better, and I thought I'd be patriotic and mention New Zealand. We had two international uh, letters here today. For the past couple years, taxes have been fully automatic for almost all Kiwis. The IRD, the Inland Revenue Department, knows how much you made on your tax code, which indicates the rules and exemptions you have and what credits you'll be able to use, and then automatically computes your tax return for you and files it to themselves. It then sends you an email on how much you either owe or how much the government is transferring to your account. 
Nick, I read that email first and I was like, this is the coolest. God, would I love that. That would be awesome. Would have saved me about $800, which is what I paid my tax guy just a couple days ago. And then on the other hand, I was like, no, I'd, I'd probably still want to pay $800 to a tax guy because I'd want to appeal whatever the government said. I don't know. Is that an American thing? Is that an American thing where, where, where you, could, you could get an easy deal and then your first thought is, eh, if it was that easy, it might even be easier if I go and, and push them on it. Although I guess if, if, if the, oh my God, am I going to do this? I think I'm going to do this. Is there a Kiwi out there that wants to send me their government generated IRD tax return? Because <laughs> I desperately want to know how granular it is. I want to know how much of a diagnostic it spits out. I do. I do. I want to know. I want to know. Because if it spit out a full tax return the way that we know a tax return, which I think mine this year was like 70 pages between state and local, um, that'd be cool. If it's a one pager and it's like, ah, you did this, tax rate's this. Actually, no, now I'm back on that side. Now I'm like, no, that would be really cool if it was a one pager. But I also don't know in New Zealand... If, if you guys have, you guys have independent contractors, so you're not working for anybody, you're just working for yourself, but that means that you have to file all of your own deductions. Ooh, I'll tell you what, if I could, if I could just put my credit card, my business credit card or maybe make an agreement with my credit card that they automatically dump all of my business expenses into the government computer. That would be cool. I, I would just want to have the option to finalize exactly what I put in. But then again, that might just be me being a scalded dog because doing taxes in America is terrifying if you are an independent contractor. Mm, I'm trying to work through all of this. Thank you for making me think, Nick the Kiwi. If you would like to be Nick the Kiwi and you would like to send a good email and you would like to make me think, you can do so at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. All right, I got to come clean. I got to come clean. I got to come clean. Uh, I didn't do a segment on the PRO Act this week. I said I was going to do a segment on the PRO Act. I have not done a segment on the PRO Act. I will do a segment on the PRO Act coming up. Also something that we did not cover in our mailbag. I didn't get a lot of emails about Bruce Springsteen. I did get an irate text message and subsequent phone call from Jersey's own Matt Donnelly of the Ice Cream Social Podcast. So I did, I did dare defile the name of the boss and I was, I was, I was given a, an element of Jersey reckoning. I love this community. This community is so, so good. A, because I know you guys will hold me to account to stuff that I promise. B, because there is that kind of interaction, that kind of passion that this show can generate. And 
it all comes from your support. It all comes from you guys doing those, uh, uh, doing those reviews on iTunes. It all comes from the fact that you guys support me at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Guys, if you get on there at the $3 level, you will get 104 bonus episodes in a calendar year. And and by the way, you know, there are only 104 regular episodes in a calendar year. So you are getting 208 episodes of politics, politics, politics. I am working for you. In one calendar year, if you are at the $3 club at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And guys, it honestly couldn't be easier. You go sign up there. You get a custom RSS feed. It's it, it's right there at... So when, when you sign up, even if you already signed up at the $3 level, just go right back to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. On that page will be a custom RSS feed. Pick that up. You put it in the podcatcher of your choice. Apple, Pocket Cast, I use Castro. They all work. And that's it. Set it and forget it. You never got to worry about signing in. You never got to worry about passwords. When you want to adjust your uh, uh, patronage, it just takes care of it on the back end. It's that simple. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Try that $3 level today. Polls are a controversial topic, which is why I'm glad that we have let this particular issue cool down just a little bit so we can talk about it more analytically. In 2020, polls suggested that there would be a Biden blowout. That didn't happen. It mirrored when polls thought there was going to be a Clinton blowout. And while the outcome of the election in 2016 was different than the outcome of the 2020 election, the reality is that there is a problem when it comes to accurately tracking Donald Trump's support within America. And it also goes down the line to Senate and House candidates. What are these polls missing? Well, we asked somebody who has done a lot of research on this very topic. Emily Eakins is the director of polling for the Cato Institute, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you for having me. Now, this is a subject that I've I, I, I spent a lot of time talking about and was probably, if I were to guess or pinpoint the thing that caused me the most grief leading up to the election last fall, it was the fact that I remained skeptical of some of the polling that we were seeing uh, because it had been not great in 2016. I, I 
you know, uh, amongst my audience, it became famous of me saying, look, it's going to be close. I All I know is that it's going to be close. I don't know who's going to win. I just know that it's not <laughs> this blowout that we're kind of seeing in the polling. And that's exactly wound up what, uh, uh, what, what, what happened. Certainly more states flipped than did in 2016, but the margins razor thin again, just like they were back then. And the biggest thing that is consistent is that Republican support was undercounted and it was not only undercounted in the presidential race, but also in some of the down ballot races, specifically on, 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 on the Senate polling, which was not just bad, really bad in, in terms of, uh, of, of some of the predictions you did a great article on, on 538 about some of why that might be. So let's start by asking how bad is this problem and how long has it been a problem at this, the highest level of our political polling understanding? Well, so I think a lot of pollsters will say, hey, look, it wasn't as bad as you think because it still got the outcome right. You know, if you look at 538 predictions that were based on aggregate polling, it predicted most of the states correctly. You know, I think it got Florida wrong and, and North Carolina wrong, but generally speaking, it got the direction right. But I think we can't deny the fact that the margins were really off. Um, like the, I think the um, art, the real clear politics polling average, which again is based on aggregate public polling, yeah. had Biden up by like eight percentage points. Some polls had him by up by like thirteen percentage points. And, 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 um, and, and by the way, RCP, which I read, not not. Uh, a simply one uh, think piece about how that was too Republican, uh, uh, you know, in terms of of how the polls that that, that they selected, that that was a partisan uh, uh, outlet and they got it wrong uh, on 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 the margins uh, in favor of Biden. Right. Um, correct. And I think Nate Cohen of The New York Times, you know, the upshot, he went through and compared where the polls were off in 2020 compared to 2016. And they were off in like kind of by similar magnitudes and similar directions and in similar regions of the country, which indicate that when people thought that they had addressed the problems of 2016, that perhaps they hadn't. Now, if you recall in 2016, when the polls were wrong, um, there were all these postmortems and pollsters went back and, you know, dug through the data and kind of yeah. the, I, there were several explanations, but one in particular that stood out was the idea that polls undercounted um, white voters without college degrees. So they didn't call enough of them on the phone or reach out to them enough in, their, in the, um, the web enabled surveys. And so that this time around in 2020, they were going to up that, you know, percentage in the sample and, you know, problem solve. And I'm sure you saw lots of think pieces going into 2020 that said, no, polls are not underestimating Donald Trump. Yes. We, we fixed the problem. We got it. Patched it. <laughs> Done. Yeah. I, 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 it, well, at least you kind of hope and what, what, what would you find out when, when you do enough cycles on this? And this is certainly your business. So so you are you are enveloped in it is that. Once this boat is sailing, like you really don't know, like you, 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 you can just say like, OK, well, let's let's guess that you uh, uh, fix this problem. But we're not going to know until everybody goes to the polls and then we can we can we can judge the, the, the results by it. Uh, l let me let me hit you with a, a more meta question here before we get into the specifics of Republican support and whether or not it's undercounted. I had a ex-pollster on here about a year and a half ago and she was very critical about modern polling mostly because 
of, of factors that are kind of beyond bias, beyond anybody's uh, opinion. Just the simple fact that there used to be a way that pollsters could reliably get a sample. They were they were plugged in landlines. We had a culture where the phone rang and some, you would get up from dinner to pick it up no ma with no idea who was on the other side. You wanted to talk to people on the phone more than you would otherwise. That's phasing out. We haven't been able to replace it with cell phones that have built-in caller IDs. We haven't been able to replace it with internet polling, which is inherently more scattershot. And, and her point is that Look, the, the the further we get away from this golden age of landlines, the more we have to rely on sampling. We have to rely on waiting to to make up for what we assume the 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 place is because we're not able to get enough actual people that fit these demographics on the phone in in the amount of time. It's just always going to be shoddier and it doesn't matter whether or not people are putting their thumb on the scale. Do, do you think that that is accurate or is there anything to that or is this lady just kind of bitter <laughs> well what i would recommend is let's extend the time horizon a little farther back so she's talking about kind of the golden age of landline telephone polls where you got response rates of like 30 yeah. percent even that you might say that's pretty low only 30 percent, but that's certainly better than what it is today which is far lower it's like you know six to nine percent maybe 12 percent, depending on the mode of the medium um but I want to extend us further back. And I think that gives us some perspective about where we are today. In the past, you know, this is like, you know, the Roper polls, those early polls, you know, the 1930s, 1940s. Um, a lot of these polls were conducted in person. Yeah. Now talk about expensive. They'd have to fly people out, bang on your door and kind of harass you until you answered the survey. <laughs> but it did help with response rates, right? The social pressure of having someone yeah. at your door. So response rates were, 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 you know, probably a little bit better in some respects, but very expensive. You just couldn't do that many polls. So over time, pollsters transitioned away from in-person knock on your door polls to mostly doing um calling you on the phone. Now let's remember, um, like when they, uh, there are still polls that are in person, but they're very, very expensive and rare. Um, but over time, you know, this is like maybe the fifties, sixties, they started doing landline polls, um, calling people on the telephone. And back then there were a lot of skeptics saying, look, not all of Americans have landline phones. Yeah. It's true. A lot of Americans didn't have landline phones. Um, and so they were not, you know, they were not being accurately counted, but it was so expensive to do these in-person polls that there was this pull towards tell, you know, landline polling. But over time, technology, you know, changed, people became wealthier. They got, and, and now like everyone kind of has access to a phone. Um, yeah. But then there was another transition where people were getting off landlines and getting onto cell phones and caller ID and all the things that you're talking about. And I think now we're in another transition, just like we were back then, where now we're switching towards new modes of polling, which is going to be primarily done online. And at, you know, at first people said, look, not everyone has the internet. Not everyone can be polled by online. But now, I mean, you know, most of America has access to the internet and a lot of pollsters, you know, really good reputable companies will actually give people the internet, give people access to the internet when they put them into their panel. So I think things are going to get better. And I think that the problems we saw in 2020 and 2016 are not related just to that okay. because 2018, the polls were pretty good. Yeah. 2014, 2012. So it's not always happening. I think a lot of people think, was this a Trump effect? 
And and that's where I want to get to because that's a, what, what what you wrote about in 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 five thirty eight. So you had two specific theories as to as to why Republican support was undercounted. What was the first? Well, if, if we can, let me just say I think there were three factors involved. Okay. Um, two fact, you know, two theories, but that third factor really matters, and that's right. about that's about the role of Trump. So let's go with the first theory. Let's the go. first is that data shows. <laughs> that Republican um, Republicans are becoming more distrustful of other people and institutions. Now, in the past, Republicans were actually more trusting and Democrats were less trusting. But over the past, you know, 30, 40 years, this has really changed. And now Republicans and Democrats are equally likely to not you know, have a lot of trust in, in, in each other and other people, just kind of there are questions that you ask, you know, uh, do you think most people can be trusted or do you think people would take advantage of you, of you if they got the chance? And right now, only I think 35 percent of Republicans or Democrats believe that people can be trusted. But we're also seeing another difference with Republicans is that they're becoming very distrusting of institutions like the media organizations and colleges and universities. And these are the institutions that sponsor an overwhelming majority of most polls. And so to like put some numbers on that, because I think that's helpful, because I think it predates Trump. This is not, Trump accelerated it, but it's not just about him. So in 2010, 58% of Republicans thought colleges and universities um, you know, were a force for good. They had a positive view of them, 58%. Yeah. By 2017, that plummeted to only 24 percent. So kind of went in half. Um, Same pattern for news organizations. Now, in 2010, among Republicans, it was already low. I think only 24 percent had a positive view of the media. But by 2017, that was only 10 percent. And so Democrats, on the other hand, their their trust in these institutions kind of were was pretty steady and actually went up a couple of points. Yeah. So I think that's part of it where people think, you know, these institutions, they don't have a lot of confidence in them. And when you ask them why, why don't you have confidence in the media or colleges and universities? The number one reason given was a perception that they are politicized or biased and that the the individuals involved, like the journalists and the professors, like that they allow their own personal biases to color the knowledge that they're supposed to be imparting to the public. And so that causes people to distrust them. And so now when they sponsor a poll, I think a lot of Republicans just say, I don't trust this. Well, let me ask you a question, though, and and this is out of total ignorance, but in in the few times that I've gotten polled for random things here in in, in the neighborhood that I live in in California, I can't remember if they identified themselves off the top as like, "Hi, I'm I'm a a, a UC Berkeley College uh, a San Francisco Chronicle poll." Not that the Chronicle has money to do polls anymore, but like. Uh, but 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 I, I don't remember them identifying themselves off the top. Is that something that you have to do in polling, or is is that is that something that that colors the ability to uh, uh, sit down with somebody? Because the one thing I do know is with a poll, you got to be with them for like a half hour. I've definitely gotten like I've been interested in in taking a poll, and I've gotten like twenty five minutes in, and then I just had to leave and do something, and it, it scuttled my whole thing. So, uh, 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 do you have to identify yourself off the top? So um, I confirmed this with uh, with the news organization polls. They do not 
always identify themselves, but many institutions feel that in order to be transparent and to meet standards of transparency that it's encouraged. Okay. I actually think that this is a terrible idea because think about like, um, given how Trump how he talks about the media, calling them the enemy of the people, yeah, you know, constantly saying polls are fake. I mean, that clearly played a role too, but these trends predate him. So we can't just say it was him. But I do think that when he, you know people feel like CNN and Trump were in a war, basically, and if CNN calls you and says, hi, I'm calling on behalf of CNN, I'm conducting a public opinion poll. I, I feel like it's almost like saying, hey, I'm a member of the Trump campaign. I'm here. I'm conducting a poll and wondering why Democrats don't yeah. want to take that survey. Um, but this is, you know, not everyone feels this way. Lots of Republicans take surveys. If you look at the breakdown in a poll, you know, the CNN polls, ABC News, Washington Post, they had the proper representation of Republicans and Democrats and independents in the polls. So they thought they were okay. They didn't think they were undercounting Republicans. I think this is the problem is that they were that there are different types of Republicans. Yes. Some Republicans are a lot more trusting than others. And I think they were getting Republicans that were not representative of all Republicans in their surveys um, and that they were undercounting the ones that were a little bit more distrusting and also more supportive of Trump. And that's, I think, how they were undercounting Republican support. And as, as we found out in the final result, it was uh, Republicans that were more inclined to vote for Biden that wound up tilting this election in some of the suburban areas in Pennsylvania and Georgia. Uh so your other your other theory is something that I actually took to my uh, audience, and that was the idea of conservatives being afraid of in professional settings, uh, specifically to kind of reveal their own personal politics. Uh, 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 be they even if 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 they are the most mild version of like, yeah, I think I voted for Trump, and and maybe I'll vote for him again. They are they are afraid of kind of economic and social reprisals for that. Uh, 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 please, please explain it. And then I'd like I'd like to share with, with, with what I got from my audience when I put that out there. Oh, I would love to hear that. I think maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that's fine. But um, yes, I actually think this is kind of the heart of the piece. And this is one of the core parts of the issue. Um, some some in some survey research that I conducted over the past year, um, we found that 62% of all Americans, not just Republicans, say that they have political views that they are afraid to share. So a lot of Americans are self-censoring. And it's not just conservatives. We got a majority of um, lib people who identify as liberals who also say they can't share their political views. Now, the only group who felt like they could share their views were people who identified as very liberal. So there's there's a distinction. There's kind of a divide within the Democratic coalition between people who will say they're very liberal or just kind of just regular liberal yeah. in how they feel like they can talk about things. But conservatives, it's 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 off the charts. Like eight in 10 conservatives say that they're self-censoring. Um, but our poll went a little bit deeper. We wanted to know, is it is it just self-censoring or do you actually fear that professional sanction? Um, so of all Americans, about a third were afraid that they would get fired or miss out on job opportunities if their political views became known. I use that choice of words very intentionally because I think there's a difference between like you know, you causing a ruckus at work, you know, a person making a big deal about their political views at work and causing a problem versus just like someone found out 
what your yeah. political views were and then trying to punish you for that. Um, among Republicans, we saw a very interesting trend. Republicans who had graduated from college became a lot more concerned about professional sanction, you know, getting fired or whatnot. And then people, Republicans with postgrad degrees, we got 60 percent who were afraid they're going to get fired if people figure out their political views. And so there, there's this segment of Republicans where we've got you know, more affluent, suburban, college-educated Republicans who are the most likely to self-censor and fear professional sanction if their political views get got out. And that actually fits with quite a few other studies that were conducted that were trying to get at how who are the polls missing? If you compare pre-election polls to the exit polls, that's exactly the segment that was undercounted in those pre-election polls. Um, and also, if you look at um, the actual election outcomes, Republicans did better than expected in suburban, you know, yeah. more affluent districts. Um, I think Republican incumbents held all of their districts and they flipped I think they flipped 15 with a net gain of 12. They were supposed to lose seats. So this was a big surprise. Oh, yeah. They actually yeah. gained 12, but it was primarily in suburban areas. So I think this is kind of like the target area of like there's something going on with this group of Republicans where they feel like and we actually have some data that that demonstrates this, that they are afraid that their views would get exposed if they talk to a pollster, you know, they have your phone number or they have their your email address. They have a way of connecting your vote choice to who you are. And I think a lot of them just say, look, I get very little benefit from taking this survey. Yeah. And there's a huge potential cost if I can't trust the pollster. So they just say, I'm out. <laughs> I opt They're out. They're just not going <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Man, you want to know what? The more I think about it, that segment of the population if you are, you know, somewhat well off because you have a post, you know, a postgraduate degree, you're living in the suburbs, you're probably going to be insulated from the biggest liability for what we found out in the exit polls for Trump, which was his handling of the coronavirus. Obviously, you're going to watch it on television. But by and large, if you're out in the burbs, your life is not going to be as different as, as if you were living in the heart of Manhattan. And now all of a sudden you go from a bustling, thriving life to something that is far smaller. Uh, uh, but on on the other side, uh the things that you're going to be the most mad about are the things that Republicans are on the other side of, like school openings and and business openings and stuff like that. Uh, so that does make sense. And and I, I think that, that you made a, a good point there. So much so that I went out to my newsletter and I asked, uh, uh, and this was like, I, I, I posted a thing to your article amongst a bunch of stuff. In fact, the, the largest thing I had was about the lockdowns, which I was assuming I was going to get a lot of feedback on. Zip. Nothing. I got nothing on the lockdowns. Everything came back of people exactly in your demographic saying just one story after another about how they are, uh, uh, you know, afraid. They wrote anonymously, but they are they are uh, uh, afraid of having somebody. And I think the way that you put it, somebody finding out like as if they like it's like it's like a, 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 a secret like like they 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 used to be along in a coven and now they're in Salem Massachusetts <laughs> or something like uh uh it is it is it is an interesting phenomenon that I think is true now I did get a bunch from from some other folks uh, uh and I think that this is part of what makes this specific issue so thorny is that there are are some folks that are like oh well I work at this place uh and and 
the 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 person at my work that's conservative and Republican can't stop talking about his politics. And so therefore it doesn't exist. Uh, but I, I think what we, we do want to draw a line is, 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 is again, that strata of college educated and, and, and even more acutely in a, a postgraduate degree. Do you get a sense that this is because they are moving into areas where one person's opinion can get them fired or, or it's a lot more network effecty? Why do you think it gets more acute in those fields? Right. I think these are great questions. So I don't doubt the listener that, you know, called in or, or wrote in and said that, you know, at their work, the, you know, they know someone that just won't stop talking about their conservative politics, of course. And yeah. what we found in our survey is there are conservatives who are willing to sanction liberals for their political views. We asked a question about, do you think, a, you know, someone should get fired from their job if they donated to Trump's campaign or should someone be fired from their job if they donated to Biden's campaign? And among cons you know strong conservatives, a third wanted to fire Biden Biden, Biden donors. donors. That's a lot. Yeah, that yeah. is. Um, but 50% of strong liberals wanted to fire Trump donors. So I think that that kind of cancel culture urge, if you want to use those words, exists on the right and the left. But there does seem to be like an asymmetry where it's felt a little bit more strongly on the left side of the political spectrum. But I think to, to kind of get at this segment more clearly, think about the types of jobs that require college degrees and postgraduate degrees, you know, law, academia, technology, journalism. These are industries that if you look at the fundraising patterns, you know, the donation patterns of yeah. these industries, they overwhelmingly give to the Democratic Party and to Democratic candidates. So in that kind of homogeneous environment, you can you're more likely to get a lot of those people that are like, you know, 50% of them want to fire all, you know, Trump donors or punish them or hurt them in you know, some way. Um, and so I think that it's just more like those industries that require graduate degrees are more likely to be left-leaning. I think this could certainly happen in an area that's more right-leaning too. But um, right now we don't see that like segmentation like on, you know, college degrees in the same way. So we're just not seeing it. And plus like there's a little bit less of a punitive edge <laughs> on the right side, um, although it does exist. Yeah. And, you know, I think we should be concerned about both sides that want to punish people because they disagree with them. Well, yeah, and and I, I do also wonder, because even on the right, Biden was looked at as certainly existentially dangerous for, for right-leaning voters, that he is going to be either the harbinger or the gateway to a, a, a socialist agenda, but not even amongst, you know, hardcore conservative partisans that I get the sense that he had quite the profile that Trump did to sure. to left partisans who were like, yes. this is actual Hitler. Hitler's here. <laughs> and like right. he's, he's he's less polarizing as a figure. Yes, than exactly. Trump, for sure. Like and, and so yeah. I think like like there there is uh, uh but then again, you know, who knows uh uh you know whether or not that continues. If because uh, like you said, I, I do think that a lot of this stuff you know, when, when, you know, Trump's calling the media, the enemy of the people, I, I don't think that he just thought of that and then poisoned the well, like, like, like you said, <laughs> the, the, the draw to Trump that, that I, I, as, as I could gather it is, is that he identified a, a, what many people thought was like a one-sided fight 
conservatives thought was a one-sided fight, the media gets to dictate everything and we get to say nothing unless it's on Rush Limbaugh or the you know primetime slots on Fox. And he gave voice to it. Like, like that was mm-hmm. that was the big thing. And now do we have any sense that like there is any kind of thawing to that? I mean, I guess it, it's been so so soon since Donald Trump's been out of out of office. But uh, is there a way that polling wise we can get uh, uh, around it, or or is is it maybe uh, uh, we need new entities that are doing these polls? Like if 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 uh, I don't I don't know what the most universally purple friendly brand would be like, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I was going to say Disney plus or something like that, because uh, maybe like even the Marvel movies are kind of politicized, but whatever, yeah, you know, are canceling those too. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. But whatever, whatever the thing that we all pizza, if pizza sponsored a poll, <laughs> like, uh, of, of, is, is that the way to do it? Is it maybe to get these out of the hands of colleges and, and, and newspapers? Um, this is such a good question. You know, how do we how do we try to restore trust in institutions? Or if not, is there another institution that's more trustworthy? Um, and that is really tough. I have to say that I think that perhaps this is an opportunity for growth yeah. for some of these institutions to think about if maybe they have played a role here. Um, now, I think a lot of people want to just dismiss this and just say these are made up concerns. This, these, this is all fake. But I think that there is empirical evidence that does suggest that there is some politicization going on in the media um, and at universities. If you look at surveys of members who work in these industries, they overwhelmingly give to left leaning candidates um, and to the Democratic Party. And there's nothing wrong with giving to, you know, what, you know, giving to to the the Democratic Party. It's just that if if like 96 percent are and you are supposed to present yourself as a neutral and arbiter arbiter uh, or neutral, like gatekeeper of knowledge, people are going to just have a little bit of a harder time believing that you're doing that properly when like 96% of you all gave to one side, right? Yeah. It's just, we're human. We're human. It's hard. It's hard to be balanced um, without having, you know, r- different types of people to push back uh, within the institution and be like, well, hey, have you considered these facts? Well, what about these facts? And then when you present the news, you try to do so in a more balanced fashion. And one of the surveys that I did, we asked people if they felt like very specific, you know, New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, NBC, you know, so the Wall Street Journal, if they had a liberal bias, conservative bias, they felt they were bi- uh, balanced between the two. And, you know, mo- more people than not thought that most of these institutions had a liberal bias. So this wasn't just Republicans. Yeah. But I think a lot of people feel this way. Now, they thought Fox had a conservative bias. Um, but like this isn't just like made up. I think that the reason people feel that way is that maybe they do. And maybe this is an opportunity for growth um, to improve uh, the way they do journalism. And now when it comes to colleges and universities, we've seen the same thing, you know, overwhelming percentages of faculty members, especially in the social sciences um, are, you know, left rather than right. I think one study of social psychologists found it was like 60 to one. Um, like, so in that environment, I think that it's hard for people to take seriously that they're neutral gatekeepers of knowledge. When they have, you know, they're not going to lunch with people that think differently than them. They're not talking around the water cooler with people that think differently than them. It's just hard, um, I think, to um, 
I just think there's a lot of opportunity to try to improve, to try to regain the public trust. And and Emily, God bless you for, for wanting to help the reputation of some of these venerable journalistic institutions. I, too, as, as somebody who grew up uh, uh, adoring newspapers, would love to see uh, uh, an, an element of reform come to some of them that I think are... Uh, uh, you know, maybe setting themselves adrift for the sake of of an unsteady business model in terms of uh, of, of their bias. But honestly, I don't care if they're the ones that run the <laughs> polls. Like they, to me, these are two sort of separate things. That that look, if people think that they are politicized, then maybe the the uh, well here. Let me let me let me reframe this. The way I understand the business model of polling, which traditionally was. A firm finds a media champion, a media patron that pays for the right for them to be the exclusive reporter of the news that they get from that firm's findings is now breaking. Like, like, like media is very chaotic. Media, like, we, we have, uh, you know, a, a display advertising has fallen off a cliff. And now, post-pandemic, some online advertising has has fallen off a cliff. That was the thing that was supposed to replace display advertising. And now that seems to be going down the toilet. So is there a reality sooner rather than later that these media entities just won't be the places where we see polling or are polling firms possibly going the way of the dodo? Well, yeah, these are really big questions. I don't have good answers, but I will point out that polls are not always off. In you know, 2018, yeah. that was in the middle of Trump's tenure. So I do think that there's hope for polling, even if it's not that, you know, even if we if the future isn't media sponsored polling, but maybe yeah. there are more, you know, institutions like Gallup and, you know, companies like that doing the polls. But I do think it's worth us you know, talking about. Why 2020 then? Why 2016, but not 2018? Is it Trump? Is this just a Trump effect? And now that he's off the ballot, now that, you know, he's not running, at least right now, um, will polling return to normal? And I actually think the answer is not necessarily. Yeah. I think that there are things beyond Trump that I think that we need to take in, take into consideration about that. I think he created the conditions that, um, cause people to be more reluctant to respond to polls. But even if he's not on the ballot, I think that this can continue. Um, and the example I gave in 538 had to do with Brexit. Yeah. Um, really similar thing happened there. Um, polls showed that, um, that, so if you recall, you know, Brexit was about, was the vote to determine whether the, you know, Great They're Britain gonna, should yeah, stay. Leave, leave or remain from the European Union. Exactly. So polls going in to the vote, they felt very confident that people were going to vote to remain in the European Union. But yeah. on Election Day, leave one and they and it won by four percentage points um, and people were shocked. And, you know, what happened there? Well, um, if you look at kind of what were the issues at stake in those election in that election, a lot of people have found, you know, like researchers have found that immigration really played a big role in how people voted. And that's a really sensitive issue, right? It's really, really sensitive. It's hard to talk about it in a way that like people aren't, you know, that people can just remain calm and talk about um, their feelings about the subject. And so um, a couple of days, I think it was maybe a week before the vote, there was this, you know, right wing extremist that murdered a member um, of parliament um, who was, you know, an outspoken supporter of 
of the European Union and immigration and global connectedness. And right after that murder, support for leave started to go down in the polls. And after the fact, pollsters looked back and they said, you know, I think it wasn't that that support for leave was going down. It was actually going away, yeah. Those people, right, the people who felt like they had some concerns about immigration, but they didn't support the heinous act of murder and they didn't want to be associated with it. They just said, I'm out. I opt out of the survey because this is so contentious and toxic. And so on election day, though, they still voted to leave, yeah. but they didn't tell the pollsters. And I think that there that's a similar thing that's happening here in the United States where Trump made really sensitive issues about immigration. You know, that that was very salient during his, you know, when he was when he was running in 2016 and 2020. Um, and just when when these very sensitive issues of identity, immigration, race, all of that, when those are salient, it's really hard for people to feel like they can kind of have a conversation about about how they feel about politics. So I think a lot of them just say, I opt out of the conversation, but that doesn't mean that they don't vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 one thing out the door here I, that I, I agree with you that I don't necessarily think it's going away is that what Trump figured out was how to get a bunch of non-traditional Republican voters out to the polls. Uh, that's hard to model for. That's hard to find. Uh, uh, everybody that you would need to make the patchwork when they don't normally show up. So it's hard to look at past elections. And if they, if there's one thing that some of the up and coming Republican candidates that might be the president uh, presidential nominee from the GOP side in 2024, if Trump doesn't run, they're all driving toward is how do we retain that non-traditional audience? Maybe that becomes easier to define now three presidential elections in, or maybe it remains elusive. Either way, we have become much smarter, thanks to Emily Eakins, the director of polling for the Cato Institute. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on. That was fantastic. Thank you for having me. And that'll wrap it up for us today. If you would like to thank Emily Eakins for coming on the show, head on over to px3guest.com. That'll bring you to her Twitter and, 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 and thank them. Wish them well. It's a great way for us to build rapport with our guests, keep them coming back, and make sure that we spread the PX3 love. Do you guys have any idea how rare you are? Do you have any idea how rare it is to have a political podcast that trails with it a gang of love? Not So people go into their mentions and find, hey, screw you, I hated your point. I mean, I guess you could do that if you wanted. I'm not your dad. But that we call out for people to thank people, to thank the guests that come on this show, that's rare, baby. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of you. px3guest.com is where you can head to do that. If you'd like to email the show, it is the Young American at gmail.com if you want to hit up our twitter where you can vote on our greatest amendments bracket it is at px3 tweets if you want to watch us live on twitch px3live.com if you want our newsletter our free political newsletter you can do so at px3newsletter.com and you can find this podcast at px3podcast.com if you would like to make a one-time donation to the program because you just think it's swell, 
We got a couple options for you. PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury. On our cash app, it is px3cash. And of course, Justin-Young-20. That is where the Venmo buckaroos continue to roll in. Let's see who is our lucky our lucky guest. Well, look, I, I, I always know that Robert Cooper wrote Venmo money isn't real. Oliver Rigobon said it's just fake Venmo money. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to Hans. I, it, I don't know why. It's like the least profitable thing for me. But it tends to make me very happy. Venmo money isn't real. Hit me up. Justin-Young-20. If you'd like to send anything to my P.O. Box, it is 10853 Oakland, California, 94610. And of course, the way that you get our premium content, our subscriber-only content, is by heading on over to Take Politics Seriously. Dot com powered by Patreon. You can get on a $3 level that gets you 104 bonus podcasts in a calendar year. If you are a subscriber for a calendar year, 104 bonus podcasts. That's a lot. It also is the place where you can get on our Titanic $10 tier. Get your name right at the end of the show. Like Headphones Neil, Dr. G, The Other Half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, The Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy, Mag, Zombie, Doc, D. Really? Methuselah. Honeysuckle. The Gen, Middle-Aged Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Oh, by the way, Gloria Young, my mom, frequent guest on this show, presidential vote receiver two times over, has gotten her first vaccine shot. So put that in your at-home scorekeeping books. Cujo, Utah, Jimmy Montana, appraisers are awesome. Snuffies off Route 44. Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Miranda, Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, Frozen, Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. You would like your name read. One place to go is takepoliticsseriously.com. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Until next time, this is your old pal, the Jerbs, Jury, Justin Robert Young, wishing you a, a, a happy St. Patrick's Day a couple days ago, wishing you a great weekend, wishing you an enjoyable, tolerable uh, uh, daylight savings time. Until next time, a reminder. That some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more, they're out here talking about politics. But this, this, my friends, is the only show that dares talk about
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.